Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. I first met Katie Brennan long before she was a household name of women's sport. We were both living in Queensland and I was keen to learn more about this Brisbane girl turned Aussie rules prodigy. In 2015, I was doing a campaign for my women in sport website, Sportette, called Strong is the New Pretty, which was really about capturing athletes in strong, powerful poses to try to flood young girls' social media with these kinds of healthy images. I asked Katie to be a part of it and she jumped on board. I've followed her career ever since. I've watched her become a marquee player of the AFLW, captain of the Western Bulldogs and Richmond, a commentator, an advocate, but most importantly, a leader and a role model. But before she made her mark on the AFLW, she was learning to love the game, growing up playing with her brother. So I, <laughs> I loved footy. I was from Queensland originally and loved footy um, ever since I was very, very young. And dad often says that I was kicking a football before I can even walk. I was always sleeping with my footy and just, um, yeah, just absolutely <laughs> adored the game. And Fast forward to when I was about six years old, my brother was um, in the under eights and my dad was coaching at the time and um, I just was so keen to play footy. I'd gone through all of the Auskick years and um, I was just ready to, to get out there and actually play for a, a team and the season had started. It was about eight weeks into the season and every week I would kit up. I would have my uh, Logan Cobras jersey on, my <laughs> socks on, my boots on. I'd have my mouth guard in even every week just waiting for dad to give me a call up just in case the team was short. And um, about eight weeks in, the team was short and uh, dad came up to me and he said, mate, we're short this week. And I was like, you beauty. <laughs> and he said, don't get hurt. And I was like, excellent. So uh, this was my, my first big break in under eights. We played under eights and um, we ended up uh, winning that game. And I ended up kicking seven goals that day and getting best on ground. And dad <laughs> uh, let me play for the rest of the year. And that was sort of how it all began. So yeah, just absolutely adored football. Um, adored my older brother, who was probably the reason why I got into it. And as part of uh, why I guess I'm so physical out there on the field because he was always bashing me up in the backyard. So, yeah. I always find it. it so interesting because back then there were no female role models for you, especially in, in Brisbane. You couldn't switch on the TV and, and watch a female run around playing Aussie rules. So it was a real raw love of the game that you had. Yeah, it was. I think um, both parents were Victorians. So it was sort of in the blood and dad always played and my older brother, he was um, he was mad about footy too. So I just naturally did everything that he did and followed him in the backyard. And, and from the age uh, that I could even remember, we were always tackling and grappling in the backyard and probably playing more of a rugby style of AFL, um, <laughs> you know, still kicking, but just tackling each other and taking each other on. And um, even the earliest memories of we were Brisbane Lions supporters and mm-hmm. they were running hot in the in the 2000s. And before that, Paul and I would barely even watch the game. We'd, we'd literally go into this um, little area of the social club where, um, you know, it was the sort of the old Gabba. Now it's all been re- redesigned. But we'd go into this bar area and we would literally just play like we'd kick the footy and play this rugby style of football and people would be walking through going to the bathroom and joining in <laughs> on our game. We would kind of bring them into the game. So... And then we would just kick the footy on the Gabba after the game. So really fond memories of, um, yeah, the childhood that I had and, um, yeah, the love for footy. 
Because it, it is, Brisbane is a rugby league town through and through, but as you were growing up, you would have been nine or ten when the Lions had their three-peat? Yeah, I was. I was really fortunate to um, be able to witness that time where they were just running hot and, um, you know, Michael Voss was probably always my childhood hero along with Jonathan Brown and, um, yeah, I guess the rest of the, the Brisbane boys. Um, and it really sparked just a a love of, of footy and, um, yeah, I used to watch them really closely and even analyse the game when I was at a, a really young age. That's really cool. You mentioned as well that you played, you would have had to play with the boys. You got those seven goals in your first game. So they would have been happy that you're on the team. <laughs> but were the boys quite welcoming? What was it like playing with the boys? But how, how did they welcome you into the side? Yeah, it was fairly welcoming. I think when you sort of get to the older years, they start to learn uh, that the some of the girls were better than them in a sense. So we had one other girl, um, her name's Jade Pagelli, and she's actually, she got drafted to the Gold Coast Suns this year, which is really exciting cool. for her. But we sort of, yeah, we hung out together and she was one year older, so she was always in an old age group. But she was somewhat a role model for me because I could see um, her out there on the field and she was really hard at the footy and, um, yeah, never took a backward step. But um, the boys were really inviting and I think once you earn the respect that you could actually play football and, and somewhat beat them in certain situations, <laughs> then, um, yeah, they were, they were really rapt to have you on the team. There were limited pathways, though, for girls um, in Aussie rules in the 90s and early 2000s. Did you have to stop at a certain age? And, and how then did you... Did you really have your breakthrough in that system that was quite restrictive for girls? I guess the, the earliest memories of the pathway uh, were, yeah, playing with the boys up until under 14s. And, and at that point, you are told that you, yeah, you can't play football anymore just because you are physically because you're a girl and, um, you know. Was that tough? Was that a tough pill to swallow? It, yeah, it was really tough. I think at the time, like in hindsight, I think it's a, it's the right idea. The boys are getting stronger and it's probably, you, you're somewhat putting girls at harm, young women at harm when the boys are getting stronger and more physical. So right now I think it is the right decision that it's sort of, that's the cutoff for, for young girls. But, um, you know, at the time where you're running, you're running around and you're holding your own out there on the field and, you know, we'd just won a premiership with the under 14 boys. Um, and you just, I think hearing that and probably knowing it was coming, it was pretty, mm. it was pretty upsetting. It was pretty and sad. not having but, another option as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm really fortunate that I was, I never had to step away from the game. So I, after that year, um, we rallied, I rallied all my friends together for um, a youth girls team back in Queensland. I had dancers on the team. I had soccer <laughs> players. I had um, I just little uh, young girls that um, were just doing athletics or swimming. And I tried to get as many as my friends down just so um, we could field a team to play um, in the first youth girls competition there. So that's when that sort of initially started the youth girls in Queensland cool. and I ended up playing open women's when I was about um, I think 15 years old and then <laughs> from there yeah played a few years ended up moving over to Yoronga because um, I was studying at UQ in Brisbane and living mm -hmm. sort of closer into the city so um, and then yeah decided to, to move down here to Victoria and pursue the dream. You took it upon yourself then to save your football career so that you wouldn't have to stop like rallying <laughs> whoever you could get into your side. Yeah, I think it was just, um, you know, football clubs are a big part of childhood and I know that I spent a hell of a lot of time there 
I was um, with my brother all the time and we were always the last kids on the ground kicking goals um, before the lights would turn off and, and even <laughs> when the lights were off, Paul and I would still be out there trying to kick goals in the dark and Dad would always have to yell out for us to, to come and get off the field. So when that is a big part of yeah your life and your journey, um, you don't really want to lose that even mm. as you're getting older. And so, yeah, I just really wanted to... Um, I guess break down those barriers, the fact that we couldn't play anymore and even the fact that there was no female role models. It was, um, I, I sort of had a, a vision that I'd just be the first woman playing in the AFL in the future. So yeah, did never you? gave that dream up. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. You did move to Melbourne when you were a teenager as well. Yeah. So I guess um, I was actually sitting at university one day and prior to that, about three weeks before that, we we had a an all-Australian camp and I was lucky enough to be able to come down and, and spend some time here in Victoria with about with, with 40 other girls that were chosen from um, around Australia and I spent some time here. Um, we stayed around Carlton and we trained at Icon Park and we just sort of lived the a week of a professional footballer in a sense and everything that, you know, comes with that and uh, the AFL Women's wasn't even a thought at that time. Mm. It was We never knew it was happening. Um, and then that was an, an, a really amazing experience. We're able to, to play on the MCG and, and yeah, just have a, a really amazing week. And then we, we all talk about in um, sort of the, the sporting world, after you've had something um, like an experience like that for a week, you sort of get withdrawals in a way and you, you want it to be real life. You want to, um, you want to be able to experience it all the time. And it was probably a week later I came down. My mum was living down here at the time and I um, actually stayed with her and I trained with Darabin for a week, which was my um, my community club before I came in to, to play with um, the Western Bulldogs. And it was the likes of Daisy Pierce and Darcy Vessio and Lauren Arnell and um, Karen Paxman and Melissa Hickey. It was a, a, like a pretty much a, a star-studded team mm. um, and I was able to, yeah, be really fortunate to run around for a week and Peter Searle was actually coaching at oh, the time. Wow. So um, after that week, I got another another batch of withdrawals and just <laughs> thought to myself, oh, my God, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing here in, in Brisbane where um, I guess the, the football probably still um, was in a developing phase and um, there was certainly none of those superstars running around um, in, in Brisbane at the time. So um, for me, I made a decision to, yeah, to put uh, uni on hold and, and move down here uh, to Victoria. And um, it was purely to, yeah, start training with Darabin and, and to have a bit of a, um, I guess, a change in, in scenery. It's something that I always wanted to do growing up. We would have family holidays and come to Mount Buller every year to go skiing um, as a family. And I always really wanted to live in Victoria because I think it was just the, yeah, the place that I loved knowing that footy was massive. So that's where it all started, the move here to, to Melbourne. That's a massive move when you consider there was no professional league at that moment. There was no inkling that there was going to be a professional league at that moment. And it's so interesting that you're playing with these girls who essentially are the future of the game yeah. right there and then. It was just the love of footy that, that drove you down to Melbourne. Yeah, it certainly did. And I think I had a, like... I guess the way that the league was developing and how um, how much talent 
was out there, which was sort of unearthed talent that no one else knew anything about. That was the most exciting part because I, I knew it was gaining more and more momentum as the years went by. And we were lucky enough to have these all Australian camps. And then we started playing those exhibition games uh, between the Western Bulldogs and Melbourne. It was just gaining traction and, and getting more and more exciting. So if you asked me five years ago um, whether I'd be sitting here, you know, after playing four years in the AF for women's or three years and, and, a, and a fourth coming up now, I'd just be, yeah, I'd, I wouldn't believe it. But at the same time, I knew something was going to happen and it was going to get bigger and bigger. So, um, yeah, it's been a really exciting journey. Well, let's talk about that AFLW and that first year. You were, of course, one of the marquee players. Um, you were on all the marketing everywhere. It was Katie Brennan, Katie Brennan, Katie Brennan. You were named the inaugural captain of the Western Bulldogs but injury, injury really crueled that opportunity, didn't it? Yeah, um, that was just such a, an exciting time, the start of the league. I think when we when we look back now, um, I think so many of us were incredibly nervous as well. We never, we didn't know how big it was going to be or where it was going to go, and you're sort of thrown into the spotlight all of a sudden, and um, all you sort of knew how to do was just play footy, and and that's what we all did. So um, yeah, it was phenomenal. I always think back and. The fact that we saw Darcy Vesio kick four goals in, in that season opener and we saw a lockout and um, we saw so <laughs> many, you know, I was incredibly emotional that first game, uh, the season opener of season one, um, just because it was there, like it was it was real. Um, we were running around in AFL colours for premiership points and it was just something that, you know, we'd had exhibition games in the past and it just didn't really mean anything. It was just a showcase mm. of talent, but this meant that we could win a premiership at the end of it and it was just phenomenal. So, um, yeah, it was beyond a, a, expectation, like the yeah. fact it was a, a sellout and then they had to lock people out. I think women in sport who played the game knew it could be that good, but to actually see it come alive was just something else. Yeah, I think the, the visions I still have are people climbing on the roof mm. and the, the fences trying to get in <laughs> and get, get a look of um, the excitement and, and what was going on. And there was a, a handful of us that were so emotional during that game that all the people I was standing around, all of my friends um, who were from other clubs or whether they were from Darabin, yeah, we all had a bit of a tear in our eye, just the fact that it was finally here. Mm. Unfortunately, um, I I sustained an ankle injury in the practice match of, of that year and was going into round one just a little bit lame and um, going back to round one it was phenomenal we played at Witten Oval I think there was about 13,000 in the crowd and there was fireworks and it was just this amazing community feel and people always talk about AF for women's games compared to the men's in terms of the I guess the, the community feel, it goes back to sort of country football and just the inclusiveness of um, of the whole environment, which is, yeah, really amazing. So um, the, the first game was phenomenal. Um, and then in the second round, I uh, rolled my ankle again. So I probably had a 12-week injury that we turned around in, a, in about six weeks, mm. um, which somewhat is a, a recipe for disaster, which it turned out to be. We worked really hard. I worked really closely with the... Uh, the conditioning staff and um, the physios at the Bulldogs who were um, amazing and I was probably pushing them more than <laughs> than anything. I was really wanting to get back and just play one more game for that year, knowing that I'd have a whole year to recover the ankle and whether mm. I needed surgery or not. Um, and we pushed really hard. We got to round uh, the end of 
uh, the round six and I was, uh, I had a, I had two training sessions, two full trains and I was ready to play round seven, which was back home in Brisbane. And I was really excited Perfect. to just get all my family to, to come up and play then. And I just did one more kick that night and I ended up um, doing a 12 centimetre tear in my quad. So <laughs> it wow. was, uh, yeah, it was pretty devastating. You always talk about now that the highs and lows of AFA women's and that you could be so incredibly high at the start of the season and it's just like creating history and you feel all these emotions and then you, you sort of do an injury or, um, you know, for some of the girls you're not selected or just things that are out of your control, um, you experience the, the lowest of lows. But that's what makes the game so beautiful and you've got to ride those waves and, yeah, it's sort of part of part of the journey. It was devastating though. How devastated were you and how did missing that season, how did it affect you? Given that there was so much hype, so much anticipation, you could see the excitement and you are the marquee player, the captain and on all the posters everywhere. I was actually talking about this um, to our group uh, at Richmond. We're having a bit of a discussion in our players meeting about our journeys and we've got probably eight AFL women's girls within our our Richmond team that have, you know, had the experience of playing one season or just being in an AFL club um, prior. And it was it was a really great time for me to reflect and talk about, um, I guess, the journey of the last couple of years with some of the girls and, and the lessons that you've learned during that time. And as I mentioned, there's incredible highs and, um, and yeah, and really low lows. And I think I started to to experience those lows, um, yeah, really early on in, in that AFL women's campaign. So how I was feeling, it was incredibly low. It was something that you'd aspired towards your whole life. And I was really fortunate to play two games or one and a half game and, and, um, and have that experience and, and to say that I've been out there, but you're also forced to sit on the sideline for the rest of the year. And, and being the leader was really tough for me, um, as well. But in, in the lessons that I learnt, um, I think I changed a lot as a person and you often do during those hardships and and particularly during injury that football was really my life and it was, it was probably my identity as well. Everything I, I did revolved around football and once it's taken away from you, you, you sort of learn uh, a lot of different things about yourself and, and how you can't put all your eggs in the one basket and that when you do and it gets taken away from you, um, that you feel more than, than like, you know, it's amplified. It's, it's, um, it felt like the end of the world in a sense, but it really wasn't mm-hmm. and it taught me um, a hell of a lot of things. And it also taught me a lot as a leader and as a captain that I think I used to just go out there and lead by example and know that, um, you know, that my football would do the talking. You could bring your teammates along with you. And when you're not able to, to be out there with the group and um, you still have to, to lead, you, you're forced to develop connections with the girls and, and have conversations that you probably wouldn't have in the past and, um, and mm. really change your leadership style. So there was, yeah, really amazing lessons that came out of missing that first year of, of AFL Women's. So not being able to lead with what you do on the field, but what you do off. Yeah, it as well. exactly. That's it. We're talking about hard times. We've talked about good times, I promise. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that second season, there were again highs and massive lows. Um, the ultimate heartbreak, of course, being that you were forced to miss out on that grand final and what turned out to be the grand final win for your beloved Bulldogs. Take me through what what happened and why you weren't allowed to play that much. Yeah, so um, in the second season, the ankles striked again. So I was able to to play the first three games of, of AFL Women's. It was still seven games in that season. So, um, yeah, I played three games and we were in Adelaide for round three and I 
was in the last 30 seconds changing direction. I had Chelsea Randall on my on my back and I got a little bit of space from her, I got a little bit of separation and I thought, beauty, I'm going to cut, I'm going to change direction and head back um, Goldwood. And I think I got a little bit too excited about mm. getting around the corner and, and sort of beating her. And um, I dislocated my ankle with 20 seconds to go. And my teammates always hang um, a little bit of crap on me during that time because what happened was I dislocated my ankle and then I handballed the ball, which meant that Adelaide got the ball on the wing and it ended up kicking a goal and they beat us with 10 seconds to go instead of just holding the ball in and holding onto my ankle and trying to put it back in place. So we ended up losing the game and um, once again I was yeah forced to sit on the sideline for for a few more weeks, um, we got to round seven, which was against um, Melbourne at Witten Oval. So I packed out Witten Oval, really exciting and really fortunate that I was able to get back. And the ankle was probably at about 50%. Um, in hindsight, it wasn't it wasn't good at all. And so from that game, um, there was a, it was cited a, a dangerous tackle um, during the game, which um, I still think was fairly questionable, uh, the tackle. Mm. And it was very very borderline and I think I'm all about the safety of the players and the fact that we have these rules for for given reasons but there was no sort of no damage there was no concussion there was nothing so Mm -hmm. it was a a really tough uh, tribunal period a really tough week where you know, we, we sort of went in really confident knowing that, um, mm. you know, as a, a team, um, I had really amazing support from from the Bulldogs, from the club and uh, from all the people there at the club. Um, and we really put a, a great case together in order to, to fight this, to be able to play um, in the grand final, which is why we play footy. It's, you know, certainly something that um, you always dream about uh, playing for premiership points and, and playing in a grand final. So, yeah, it was a really, really tough week um, and incredible highs and lows where you sort of think that you're going to play and you you rock up to training uh, preparing like you're going to play. And then it was it got to the, the Thursday night. We lost the tribunal appeal and it was um, mm. sort of I was deemed guilty in a sense um, and I wasn't able to, to play the grand final. So from those highest of highs to sort of the lowest of lows and, and how um, how I had to sort of respond uh, during those times were, were really difficult. But also, yeah, being the leader in a, in a sense as well and not mm. being able to be out there with your teammates and, and play the game. So it was a, yeah, a pretty tough period of time. I take so many positives from, from the whole situation, um, you know, as you always do. There's so much growth in in these challenging times. And, um, for me, it was still one of the best days of my life. Um, although I didn't even, um, you know, I didn't lay a foot on, on the pitch during the game. We were sitting in the stands with nine of the other girls who were, um, either not selected or injured. And, um, we all wore our jerseys underneath, um, our polo shirts Mm -hmm. on the day just to feel as if we were part of it. And, um, I had a a really big job on that day to make sure that no girl sat back and and sort of isolated herself. And it was one of my goals was that I I didn't want to sit Mm. back in the crowd and just feel as if, you know, why me? I I didn't want to be um, in that mind frame at all. I wanted to really soak up the moment and and be there for the girls. And um, I think we did that incredibly well. As I said, it was one of the best days. And yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed being out there and celebrating with the team. And, um, And I was just so, so proud of them that they could come home with the cup. That must have been tough though. There must have been moments beforehand where did you have your moments beforehand? Did you allow yourself some moments to actually feel, to feel disappointed, to feel let down, to to have a cry? 
Yeah, I did um, probably more so behind closed doors with my my friends and family and um, I'm pretty big on um, especially – you know, being a leader within the group that it was never about me and the, the club was fighting behind closed doors for, for me to be out there and be able to play with the girls. But, you know, if they didn't have me, it was completely fine because they hadn't had me there for the whole season and they'd still um, you know, made it to a grand final. So mm. you sort of take yourself out of that situation. You never want to go into the club and mope around and um, mm. and show that, yeah, that you're, you're even disappointed. So it was just business as, as usual. I think I yeah, just really embraced it all, made sure that um, you, you take the focus off yourself and make sure that every other girl is okay going into a big game like the grand final and uh, and make it a really exciting group and make sure that, uh, um, sorry, a really exciting uh, moment and a really exciting week and make sure the whole group is prepared but also just um, really soaking up and celebrating the week. Who do you lean on? the most when things don't go right? Who's your support? Who do you talk to that you know can help you get through tough situations like you've been through? Um, my partner Liv, she's, um, she's been really amazing for me over, she's sort of been there the, the whole period of, um, mm. you know, during that, that grand final period. And uh, through the injury, I had a, an ankle reconstruction and she was the one who was, um, you know, making my food and, and really looking after me. But she's my sounding board and my, and my rock and um, she's incredibly wise and, and incredibly supportive. So she's just, um, she's massive for me during, uh, I guess, the low moments, but also during the high moments where we get to sort of celebrate it all together. Um, my family and um, close friends. I've, I've got some really amazing friends that are still um, at the Western Bulldogs. Um, some of my best friends are still there and you have a really tight crew that you can rely on. Um, my manager, Alex, has been amazing for me during sort of mm-hmm. f- since day one of, um, of AFO Women's. She's been there from the very start and um, it's more sort of a, a friend relationship with her that... Um, you know, she looks after me in a, in a professional sense, but also you can lean on her during certain times. And and then it was just a, a, a real collection of um, either mentors um, or just sort of people that you, um, yeah, that you really trust and, and you lean on during those times. I think everyone has their circle of, of friendship and circle of family and, and circle of people that, um, that have their sort of best interests at heart and um, that can look after you during those really tough times. But on the flip side mm. that you can celebrate with during the, the really amazing times too. You were going to take the case to the Australian Human Rights Commission for gender discrimination because that same incident would have attracted a fine and not a suspension if it happened in the men's game. And if it was a male in the men's game, they wouldn't have missed out on the grand final like you had to. What made you want to do that? What made you want to stand up and and take a stand? Yeah, I guess I was really passionate about the fact that it it happened the year prior where Trent Cotchin did a a bad tackle on Dylan Shield and he was able to pay a fine and and play uh, the grand final. And that was big for me during that period of time where um, you feel as if you're out of control of the situation and that there's nothing else that you can do to be able to mm. play that game. And I thought to myself, there's an opportunity here to make sure that the the next girl that um, is involved in, in a situation like this, that there's an opportunity that if I can speak up and have a conversation with the AFL about changing this rule, that she wouldn't have to go through the same situation again. And um, I think that we as a sort of a, 
you know, the um, the Western Bulldogs and, and myself, uh, we thought that there was an opportunity to, to do so there. And and it ended up having really positive discussions with the AFL around um, changing that rule and making sure that we're thought of. It's a, a really short season in AFL women's. It's amplified. Mm. Um, emotions are high and girls just want to play football during that time. So, yeah, it was a, a really positive outcome to a, a situation that was uh, pretty tough. You didn't have to go as far as the Human Rights Commission, but the rules, as you mentioned, were changed the following year. It's tough being the first, isn't it? It's a bit of a tough pill to swallow that, yes, it's great that you've changed the game for someone else, but it just came too late for you and your opportunity in that grand final. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, it's sort of, it hit me more probably post-season where, um, I had I spent you know a few weeks away from I had my ankle reconstruction and and you sort of have some time to process everything that has happened and I wasn't playing footy at the time I wasn't really going to training um, hence because I was doing my recovery and and that was probably where um, yeah it was a really challenging period for me and I perhaps lost the love of the game a little bit but also mm. you sort of remember that yeah, it, it has all happened for a reason. Like we talk about, you have the, the lowest of lows and the highest of highs it will come around the corner um, eventually. So, um, yeah, I'm a big believer that, um, you know, all the, the hardships that you go through and the challenging times just um, help you during during the journey to get back up uh, to where you're really enjoying your footy again or, or really celebrating um, the success. And those difficulties and those challenges have made you the leader that you are. You can see the way that you reflect on things, just your leadership and your strength uh, and your courage, how you manage to do it. It's it's really made you into the person that you are today and the leader you are. Yeah, that's it. I think, um, you know, drawing from all these experiences and drawing from hardships and I often think about my life and, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be able to be a professional athlete playing uh, in the AFL women's and yes, I've gone through some some hardships with injuries and, and not being able to miss the grand final, but God, that's not half the things that most people go through. And, um, you know, my journey is is nothing compared to, to most um, to most challenging times and hardships. Um, so you sort of put it in perspective in that way as well. I think perspective was something that really helped me to sort of get through the, the whole um, mm. period of not enjoying my football and, and sort of working back up to being out there on the field again and, and getting the love back for the game is that um, we went over after getting my ankle reconstruction. We, um, Liv and I did a trip to America and Mexico and no one knows football in, in America. There's not many, many people that know what AFL is. And we were sitting in um, at the baseball one day in San Francisco and we sat next to this young girl who uh, was a diehard baseball fan and she was mm-hmm. sort of telling us about the game of baseball and that she played and she played at a quite a high level. And then she sort of asked us what, what we were doing and, and what we do with our lives and, and what we do for work. And we started talking about football and I tried to um, explain the game of football to her. It was, you know, a bit bit of rugby league, bit of basketball, showed her a little bit of um, of vision of football in on YouTube and she was just mind blown by it. But the fact that she had no idea what football was, it really put it all into perspective that <laughs> sometimes you just live in a bubble and particularly here in Victoria um, where it's so football crazy. Um, but it, yeah, it does give you a lot of perspective on the fact that uh, it is just a game and you're going to experience highs and lows in the game. And, and sometimes, yeah, the, it, it's just, you've got to think about the fact that people are going through much bigger things than just playing football and getting injured. 
Was that how you found your love of the game again? You've moved to Richmond now and you're again the inaugural captain there. Why the move? Yeah. Did it have something to do with those difficult years? Yeah, definitely. I think um, for me it's, you know, I've said it before that I adored my time at the Western Bulldogs. I was there for the three years of AFA Women's, um, but also prior to that, th- three more years at the club during all those exhibition games and um, and sort of, yeah, just when we were starting to, to think about AFA Women's and, and creating the, the team there. So I spent a, a fair, I'm 27 now, so I spent a, a good six or seven years at the club and that's mm. a fair chunk of, of anyone's life really. Um, and for me, it was about getting the love back for the game and and having a, a fresh start, um, a bit of a change, a new experience. And um, I felt like I had to do that for myself, to do something to reinvigorate, yeah, my love for the game and my love for footy. Um, and so I met with Richmond. I heard a lot about them prior to, to the move and... Um, you know, during anything like this, a massive decision, you always lose sleep over um, over these these conversations and and over a decision like this. And I certainly did. I had you know lengthy conversations with um, the leadership at the Bulldogs and and also um, yeah, my management and my friends and my family and um, and it just took a bit of time to to process it all. But I did decide to to move to Richmond and um, yeah, I haven't looked back ever since. I've just I have found the love of footy again. It's been a really amazing period of time where, you know, I've only been at the club for just under a year now and just the way that they operate and how um, it's one of their values just to celebrate the moments and, and really enjoy the ride. You can see with the success of the boys and, and how um, how amazing that their journey has been and how connected they are. It, it, it does come back to to really celebrating the good times and, and having fun while playing um, playing this game that can be, yeah, it can be crazy at times, but um, mm. you just need to go back to enjoying yourself out there. It takes a lot of courage to make a change as well, especially if you're um, you're unhappy. But I've always, it's something I always tell myself, if I'm ever unhappy, I hope I have the courage to make a change. And courage is something that you're definitely not short of at all, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> it's for sure. You just, you have to you owe it to yourself. Like I, I always think about, yeah, I disappointed people. I disappointed fans. Um, I probably disappointed my teammates, even though I'm, I'm really close with um, most of the girls still there now. But you, you also, um, you have to make decisions for yourself at times. And, you know, I always think that if I'm sitting there and playing uh, football to, to, you know, make people happy or to, make fans happy or to make sure that I don't disappoint people, then why are you playing the game? Because it's not, it mm. doesn't really come back to you um, doing it for yourself and, and really enjoying um, enjoying the ride. And, you know, it is a team sport as well. I, um, I wasn't playing my best footy there because I wasn't enjoying myself, which wasn't a reflection on the club or the team. It was just where I was at during my time. Mm. And in order to get that love back, I knew that I had to to make a change and, and do something. Otherwise, um, yeah, I, I never really knew where I would probably end up, whether I still would be playing the game or, or not. So, yeah. We saw Taylor Harris this year on another point um, of some challenges. She really fought back after sexist attacks through her social media channels Um and one of the great things I think we saw was the public really rally behind her as well. Is this something that you've gone through too, through your social media? Do you, something that you have to constantly deal with? Um, not, not to the level that um, Taylor had to deal with. And she was, she's a, a pioneer in that space. I think um, across the journey, a lot of the AFA women's girls have had to deal with 
different um, different things, whether it would be sly remarks from trolls um, telling us to go back to the kitchen or that women can't play footy or that it's boring or, you know, um, and <laughs> our response to all those things is just don't watch it. If you don't, if you don't enjoy it, then don't watch it. We're not forcing you to sit on the, the couch and, <laughs> and watch the brand that we're really excited to play. So, um, yeah, Taylor's been um, a trailblazer in that, just fighting back and calling people out. And I think um, it's been really important over this journey that um, that we are doing that. And it comes back to all female athletes as well. And it also comes back to all athletes. Like the boys cop uh, just a, an outstanding amount of, I guess, backlash and, and just um, they get trolled on on the daily basis, it's not just coming back to women. I think there's a, a big issue in in sort of the women's space, but it's just people who put themselves themselves out there in general. And um, and so yeah, it's it's been really amazing to see that Taylor's stepped up and um, and she's fighting that on behalf of of everyone. Do you have any advice for maybe young girls who may be experiencing trolling on social media? You know, I'm always told to not look at the comments and, and to not read into things. And I think, yeah, it can really sort of do your head in if if there's, um, particularly in the sporting world, that everyone has an opinion on how you kick the football, whether you go in hard enough or not, whether, you, you know, there's all these different topics that, that people can control about or talk about. And yeah, you just got to sort of go back to the positive comments as well. I think sometimes you get two negative comments on a, a feed or, um, you know, that you hear about and there might be a hundred positive comments as well. And you hang on to the two negative comments from people mm. who have probably done nothing with their life and they're sitting on the couch trolling you right now. And I just think if my, if I have any advice is just to think about what what these people are doing with their life when they are trolling you and how unhappy they must be to, to really sort of put someone uh, on the spot like that and, and to, yeah, make comment about someone's decisions or someone's life. So mm. um, it's almost it's almost funny in a sense for me. I just think how do they have the time to, <laughs> to make comments <laughs> about how I'm, I'm living my life or, you know, how Taylor's kicking the ball or, you know, just, just things like that. So, um it's really easy to say and it's harder to do, but um, but try not to listen mm. to the negativity and just keep doing what you're doing. Are you happy with the pace of change in the AFLW? Yeah, I certainly am. I think, um, you know, I was... I was thinking about the fact that we've got uh, these expansion teams coming in and that um, it is spreading talent. And I've always been somewhat on the fence about the expansion versus the talent coming through. And I think if we still had eight teams, what would AFL Women's look like? I think it would be probably mm. more fast-paced and more exciting. And, um, and yeah, it would, it would have a whole heap of, of talented girls um, fighting for, for those positions um, in the AFL Women's. But... The fact of the matter is that in the men's league, we've got, um, you know, these 18 teams and every team wants a women's team because socially within their club, it's such a, an amazing thing. It, it changes the whole dynamic of a football club and it also opens up this other side of the 50% 50, 50 of the population of the, the women who um, are a part of a football club who want someone to, to um, support as well. And um, so for me, in, in terms of the, I guess, the, the competition going forward. I think we're at a really healthy spot where um, it's so exciting that we've got something like 
90 new spots on, uh, no, sorry, 120 new spots on AFL lists. So 30 new spots Mm. per team. And the fact that there's opportunities for all of these girls to come into the league now and to be a part of elite environments, um, have elite coaching and have this opportunity to play at the highest level is only going to make them better again. So that's where I sort of sit on the fence in terms of the expansion versus non-expansion. It's so exciting to see um, that it's all happening and, you know, that young girls can look up to all of these girls um, in all these different football teams. We've got 14 teams now in the competition. Um, and I know that the, the the league will eventually expand to the 18 teams, um, which is super exciting too. So it's just a phenomenal time for, for women in sport and also for, for AF for women's. The growth has just been just incredible. And yeah, we're looking forward to how season 2020 plays out. So where to here for the competition? Where would you, if you had your Katie Crystal Ball <laughs> right in front of you, your ideal setup for the next five to ten years for the women's game, where do you want it to see and can we see it become that? Yeah, I guess um, for most of us, we just want to make sure that the league is sustainable and that we, you know, we don't ask for too much. So it sort of cannibalizes the competition and makes it a, a really, um, you know, not a, not an amazing product. We need bums on seats. We need TV ratings. Uh, we need more sponsors coming in in order to to fund the league going forward. So it's just getting that happy medium between um, the fact that we also want to play more games in the AFL women's. Um, you know, we, we train all year round. We're playing VFL through the winter and then AFL through the summer. And we just want more time to, to play in AFL colours for premiership points and for it to be a, a full uh, sort of national competition for longer and having more rounds. So it is, again, um, that battle between... Um, you know, do we play everyone once during the season? Um, and then, you know, the interest for AFL women sort of drops off towards the end of the season. And also during which time? Will it? It's a Yeah, it's the golden question. We, I think probably you will know more this year, having more teams in the competition. There's four more teams. Mm. And so we've got eight games, three finals. And I think... For me, I don't think it will. I, I'm um, I am um, backing the side that the more opportunities we have now mm. to play football on the big stage and develop our skills and um, get better and to have you know more games within your your team, so you can have that team cohesion. Over it's pretty hard to get it over seven weeks um, that it has been in the AFL Women's in the past. Now we've got eight games, but. You know, the more games, the better for teams um, and the more games, the better for, for athletes as well. And that's what we're gunning towards. I really love the fact that we play over the summer. I just think it's such a, um, mm. you know, I think being a Queenslander, I might be a little bit biased loving playing in the sun <laughs> and, and I don't love so much the, you know, the winter nights training for VFL where, we, um, where we're training it in five degree weather and it's raining. But I think it's a really exciting period of time during... Um, um, sort of that that summer period where the AFL mm. men's aren't playing during that time and whether we move the games prior to Christmas and have, you know, half the round uh, or half the season prior to Christmas and then mm-hmm. um, compete with the tennis, mm. knowing the AFL and knowing how many decisions that they have to make <laughs> during this time <laughs> and how many things that they have to accommodate, it's incredibly hard. But if, if I was in Gil's position and I had his hat on for the day. Um, I would love to see more rounds um, and also being able to sort of play uh, during that period of time. I think Katie Brennan, CEO, has a nice ring to it as well. So <laughs> yeah, Maybe in um, 20 years' time. <laughs> <laughs> you are called an AFLW pioneer. Katie Brennan, the AFLW pioneer. 
How does that sit with you? I think it's something that you probably will reflect on post-career more so. I've been able to sort of reflect on the journey um, that I had with the Bulldogs and, and how amazing that was and, and how, yeah, I was fortunate enough to be the inaugural captain and it, it was something I'm incredibly proud of and, and I feel, yeah, really humbled to be able to do so. Um, so I have been trying to reflect on on these things along the journey, but I do think it's something that you probably sit back and, and look back on at the end of your career. You try and be a little bit more in the moment while you're here. And I think that's um, what I've learnt coming to Richmond is just about really enjoying every single moment and and not missing um, the opportunity to celebrate things in the moment. If you're thinking about uh, sort of the past and, and what you've done or you're thinking about the future, um, you, your mind's not on that present, present moment. So, yeah, I think it's... Uh, something that I'm, yeah, proud of and humbled. Um, but it's, yeah, it's something that I'll probably look back on more. We finish off every podcast by asking our guests, what would you tell your 10-year-old self? So if you could go back to that little Logan Cobra <laughs> as uh, in Brisbane, what would you tell that little Katie Brown? I would tell her um, to keep fighting, to keep fighting for whatever it is that you love and to keep doing what you love. Um, during that period of time, there was yeah, so many people that say that, you know, AFA women's um, was, wasn't even a, a thought and that there's no pathway in women's football and that you're wasting your time. And and if there is something that you, you love, to make sure that you just keep pouring your heart and soul into it and that you keep working incredibly hard to get to where you want to get. I think that's why my dad was so influential in my football career as well. He never told me to stop playing football. Um, he always taught me to sort of go after my dreams and that hard work will take you to really beautiful places and, and that stuck true to me and that's something that I, I try and pass on as well. And lastly, um, it's probably a lesson that I've learnt um, more so in the last year is just to enjoy, like just to really celebrate the moments, to have fun doing whatever it is that you do, whether you play elite sport or play sport just for fun um, or it's your career just to make sure that you're enjoying every single day because, um, yeah, life is incredibly short and if you're not enjoying it, then why are you doing it? An incredible message from an incredible athlete, footballer, and more than that, an incredible leader and person. Katie Brennan, thank you for joining me on On Her Game. No worries, Sam. Thanks so much for having me. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, producer, Lindsay Green, audio producer, Darcy Thompson, executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. 